This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Um, we will be reading out of Genesis chapter 45 today. So if you'll take a moment to begin turning there. And I am so excited because this is the chapter where um, I've been joking around in my home group. This is like the big reveal, right? Joseph finally tells his brothers who he is. And so I'm so excited to read this, to have the privilege of reading this to you. And I look forward to um, what Pastor Mark has to share with us out of this passage as well. Okay. So Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It is my father still, is my father still alive. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beast, and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. 
But when they told him all of the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Thank you, Laura Beth, and good morning, everyone. Good morning, those who are online with us and those who are present in the house of the Lord. We've got some visitors here again as well. We're thankful for you. So when we left the brothers last Sunday, Judah had made his appeal, remember, to Joseph. He offered himself in Benjamin's place. That was the final piece of the puzzle, if, it, if you will, for Joseph. He, he was waiting to see if his brothers who sold him into slavery 22 years earlier were changed men. And his response was overwhelming joy, I think, mingled with sorrow, maybe because of the years lost, and such that he could not control himself. Interesting, the wording there, he could not control himself. He ordered everyone out of the room except his brothers, right? And he wept so loudly when he told his brothers who he was that people outside of that room could hear him outside, and they could hear him in Pharaoh's uh, house. They could hear him proclaim this news. And when he said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? They could not answer him. Same wording. It's the exact same Hebrew phrase here. He could not control himself. They could not answer him because of their own dismay. The word here also mixed with terror. <laughs> Let's be honest. This is a terrifying moment for these men who looking at the man they sold into slavery 22 years earlier. So the moment of truth has come. And how the, the question is, how is Joseph going to deal with this? How is he going to deal with his brothers? It seems obvious to us in this chapter how he's going to deal with them. But when we get to chapter 50, they're still wondering. They're still asking questions of, you know, when's the penny going to drop, right? When's the other shoe going to fall? When's it going to happen, Joseph? And he's going to assure them again when we get there in July, probably, or June. Let's look at this passage today under three main points. Sovereign God, forgiving brother, shocked father so the sovereign god we talked about the providence of god five weeks ago today when the women many of you were on retreat and we talked about this passage i, I used part of this passage and i don't plan to re-preach that sermon today but i want to to go over this part again this message joseph spoke to his brothers here is as clear a teaching by any biblical figure on God's sovereignty that you'll find in all the Bible. God's sovereignty, God's providence, God's sovereignty over the affairs of men. Joseph is his brother's teacher here, and he's earned the right to do so, right? Joseph has advanced degrees in suffering because of what his brothers did to him 22 years earlier. Right, But instead of making him bitter, his suffering has made him wise and compassionate. I thought of that saying, the same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg. <laughs> the, the same suffering that, suff that softens one person's heart, well, it hardens another. And we have an advantage over eggs and potatoes that don't have a clue why they're sitting in boiling water, Right? We can understand, sometimes we can understand the sovereignty of God with his help. And Joseph acknowledges to his brothers 
in his suffering, saying twice, they're guilty. He says twice, you sold me. But I love this. He says three times, God sent me, right? Hey, you sold me. But better than that, God sent me. It's like that verse that Paul says, you know, our sin is great, but, but God's, God's grace is, is greater, right? It superabounds while our sin abounds. He said, God, God sent me here. You sold me, but God sent me. He has a three-point sermon for the brothers. All right, let me break this sermon down for you. For the brothers on why God sent him to Egypt. He understands this now. They don't have a clue. He says, first, God sent me here to preserve life. And that's true, isn't it? Verses verse 5. Who knows how many people on the earth would have died during that seven-year famine had God not planned 20, 20 years before the famine started to send this Hebrew boy, 17 years old, as a slave to Egypt. Joseph says, God sent me here to, to save life. Second, God sent me here to preserve before you a remnant. This is verse 7. What would have happened to the covenant family of God that we've been tracing since day one in this study of Genesis? What would have happened to the covenant family had not God made a plan 20 years before the famine to send Joseph? You know, it reminds me in Exodus when the people are groaning under slavery for 430 years and they're crying out to God and about 80 years before that 430 was up, God caused Moses to be conceived in the womb of a woman and to be born so that 80 years later, after they've been groaning for 350 years under slavery, this man will deliver them from Egypt. So God, 20 years before the famine started, said, I'm going to send that boy to Egypt. I got plans for him. They think they're selling him into slavery. But no, I've got bigger plans for Joseph. He's going to preserve the covenant family. Joseph could have said, I went from the pit to the prison to the palace for the sake of God's covenant promise. God keeps his promises. Thanks, guys, for helping him keep his promises. Third, he says, God made me a father to Pharaoh. The word there literally means advisor. God made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Remember, 22 years earlier, the brothers had scoffed at this young dreamer, and they said, are you going to rule over us? Yes, he is. But it was part of God's sovereign plan. Joseph sums it up with this statement. So it was you, not you, who sent me here, but God. Joseph is beginning the restoration process of these men, his brothers, whom he still loves, despite suffering at their hand. And it made me think about that, that scene in, in the New Testament, in John's Gospel. Remember when Peter denied Jesus in the, in the courtyard, right? Three times he denied Jesus, and he was, he was standing beside, the Bible tells us, a charcoal fire. The only two times in the New Testament that a charcoal fire is mentioned is right here when, John, when Peter denies Jesus. And then a few days later, after Jesus has been raised from the dead and he appears you know, by the seashore and the boys are out there in the boat and he's cooking fish on a charcoal fire. Peter recognizes the Lord. He jumps overboard. He swims to shore. And Jesus and Peter have this little exchange. And you remember it well, don't you? 
Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And three times Jesus says to him, well, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Then love my people. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Jesus restored Peter. He forgave Peter. And that forgiveness had feet on it. It had hands to it. It, it, it mattered in Peter's life. It changed it completely. So Joseph had learned to trust God instead of his own heart. And because of that, he was not bitter, not seeking revenge, not wanting to hurt his brothers like, oh, you, you wait. You're going you're gonna to feel the pain I felt. That's, that's the way a lot of people live their lives, right? They're just waiting for the next person to hurt them so they can pay them back, so they, they can heap upon them double if they can, right? That's the way the world system works, but that's not the way the, the, the system that is under Christ works. You know, had Joseph not come to terms with this many, many years ago, the boiling water of the suffering would not have softened him. It would have turned his heart like granite. But now his, his heart is soft like clay, and, and Christ is, is forming, or God is forming it to forgiveness. And that leads us to the second point, forgiving brother. Years ago, a seminary student in Chicago faced a forgiveness test. He was in seminary in Chicago, and although he preferred a, a ministry position, he couldn't find one. The only job he could find was driving a bus on the south side. You know where this is going, right? So one day, a gang of teenagers got on the bus, and they refused to pay. And the next day, they did the same thing. And this happened several days until finally one day, it happened, and they were driving along, and he saw a policeman on the corner. So he pulled the bus over and stopped the bus, and he told the policeman about the gang on the bus that hadn't paid. The policeman came on the bus and made him pay. Give me the money. He gave it to the bus driver. And then, sadly, the policeman got off the bus. Yeah. As soon as that bus got around a the corner, these guys took control of the bus. They robbed the, the bus driver, this young man, of all of his money, and then they beat him mercil mercilessly. So he filed charges. He pressed charges. The police rounded up this gang, and they brought him to court. They were found guilty, and they were sentenced to prison. And at that moment, the young Christian saw their spiritual need, and he felt compassion for them. He felt pity for them. And he said to a shocked judge... And a shocked gang of teenagers, no, 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 please don't do that. Let me, let me serve their time. I'll go to prison in their place. And of course, the judge wouldn't allow that. But as a result of that compassion he had for these young men, he started visiting them in prison and led several of them to the Lord. Forgiveness, you see, is not just a feeling, but it's also commitment of the will. We see that in Joseph in several ways. We see that, that he moves towards them. He, he tells them to go back to their father and bring him back here. All of you, do not tarry. Hurry back. You know, forgiveness is not like, all right, I forgive you, but I don't ever want to see your face again. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness has feet and hands and warmth. He then told them he would give them a place to live. He said, it'll be, be near me. I will provide for you. And in fact, he says, I'll make sure that by God's provision, you will live and not die. And there were five more years of famine to send his brothers back to Canaan with, I forgive you. I really do forgive you. 
and I hope you make it, would not have been mercy. It would have been condemning them to death. They would have died without Joseph's help. Now, forgiveness is not just a commitment of the will, but it is a feeling. Because Joseph chose to forgive his fathers, God brought a warmth into his heart for them. We see that he kissed all his brothers and he wept upon them. I like what Derek Kidner says. He said it was applied theology. God's truth releasing the will for constructive effort and releasing the emotions for healing affection. I think that's right, right? We've talked about this before. You act yourself into a way of feeling. If you truly do forgive somebody and you move towards them, God will give you passion and compassion for that person you love. But if you don't forgive them from the heart, if you don't move towards them in ways that are are palpable and real, then the feelings will never come. The feelings will follow the action, the act of the will. He wept upon them. After this, the Bible says his brothers talked with him. What was that conversation about, right? We don't know. I'd love to know. But I don't think he was venting. I don't think he was rehearsing with them all the suffering he had gone through because of you. Let me just tell you all I've been through. I don't think so. I don't think he was going over a list. I don't think Joseph had a list. We shouldn't either. I read a story about a couple married for 15 years and they began, began having more than usual their usual disagreements. So they really did want to make their marriage work and so they decided to, to act upon an idea that the wife had. For one month, they planned to drop a slip of paper into a complaints box about their daily irritations with one another. The wife was diligent in her efforts and approach. Uh, she had lots of slips, leaving the jelly top off the, the jar, wet towels on the shower floor, dirty socks not in the hamper, and I bet you guys could add to that list, right? After dinner, at the end of the month, they exchanged boxes. The husband read the slips and reflected on what he had done wrong. And then the wife opened her box, and they all said the same thing. All the slips. The Pharaoh heard, and by the way, we could flip that around. It could be just the opposite. Women, don't feel bad. It could be just the opposite, right? The point is, we don't need to make those complaint boxes. We don't need to have lists. We don't need to carry grudges. We need to forgive and move on. Well, the Pharaoh heard the news about the brothers. He joined in the fun, telling his, his, Joseph his family would have the best of the land. The best of the land. Everything Egypt has. The best of Egypt will be your families. He loved Joseph. And he said, oh, by the way, Joseph, tell them to take these wagons from Egypt back with them so they can easily make their move here without looking like the Clampets coming to town. So he closed with, have no concern for your goods. The best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Don't you love this? The Pharaoh is blessing the covenant family of God. It goes back to Genesis chapter 12. I will bless those who bless you. Joseph sent the brothers away loaded with all the good things of Egypt, with grain, bread, provisions for Jacob on his return. Joseph even gave them a change of clothes. Did you check that out? He gave these guys a change of clothes. Unless your name was Benjamin, then you got five changes of clothes. 
There it is again. Five, an important number in Egypt, five times as much, right? I'm going to make sure they know. I love me some Benjamin. And he also gives them $3,000 worth of silver by today's, in today's market, basically three, three grand. I love the last thing Joseph said to his brothers. Did you check this? I heard some, some laughter when, when Laura Beth read this. The last thing he said to them as they were getting ready to roll out was what? Guys, don't, don't quarrel with one another. Why did Joseph say that to these guys? Well, there are two reasons. And I, and I believe that there's one reason Joseph said it, and then a second reason Moses made sure to include this in this story, right? Because he wrote this book. First, he said it because he knew them so well. He knew those guys. Even after 22 years, he knew these guys. And he says, guys, look, it's going to be a long journey back, 10 days, and you're going to have nothing to do but just argue if you give yourself to that. Don't do that. Don't give in to argument and divisiveness and about, well, you know, if you hadn't said back in the day when we threw them in the pit, oh, yeah, well, if you hadn't done this, don't do that. It's, it's a waste of time. And that's true for us as well, isn't it? The second reason I believe that, that Moses made sure to include it was because these were the people of Israel. These were the children of Israel he's writing to, and they're wandering in the wilderness and grumbling a lot. I love that song, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt by Keith Green, that one, that one phrase. He says, right, he says, um, nothing to do but travel. We sure travel a lot. It's hard to keep your feet from moving when this sand gets so hot. Ouch! All right, well, that leads us to shocked father. Do you think the boys, do you think the boys, when they, when they got home, said, hey, Dad, can you sit down right here? I just want you to sit down before we share with you what we're about to share with you. I don't think they did. I mean, according to the text, they just blurted it out. Joseph is still alive, and he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And it says Moses, uh, Jacob went numb. I, I think he went into shock, and he's thinking to himself, Joseph, my, my son Joseph is still alive? That's impossible. And then he said, hey, he's what? He's the ruler of Egypt? That's impossible. He's dead, and he's a Hebrew. He can't be the ruler of Egypt. But think of that. The shock of that. They convinced the father. How they convince him? Did you see that? How they convinced Jacob that Joseph really was alive? They told him all the words that Joseph had said to them. What words would that have included? You sold me. God sent me. You see, these boys finally. Had, and this is why jo, po, po, possibly why Joseph told him not to argue, because these boys finally had to come clean. They finally had to tell the truth that they had kept hidden from their father for 22 years. They finally had to be honest men. That was part of the restoration process that Joseph was all about here. That chess move was to get them back to tell the truth to their father. Why is that? Why did they have to tell the truth? I love James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. I think the soul of these 10 men was finally healed 
when they were able to confess what they'd done. We keep things in the dark. They grow, they fester, they ruin, they destroy because that's what the devil does. He came to, to steal and to kill and destroy. But when we bring them into the light, Satan hates that. The devil hates that. But God loves it and he brings blessing and peace and healing and mercy when we bring things into the light. Israel received the news. He says, it is enough. And this is the same old Jacob here, a little dramatic Jacob. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Jacob, you're going to live 17 years in Egypt, okay? Let's don't get carried away. 17 years. It's not like you're going to see him and you're going to drop dead. But look, he was 130 at this point. That's twice my age. If I get to 130, I'm probably thinking my time is up too, right? Well, what can we take away from this message? Number one, suffering can harden or soften our hearts depending on our view of God's love for us and His sovereign working in our lives for our good and our glory. Everybody in here has been through suffering because we are human beings and especially we are Christians and Christians are promised suffering. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So we've all been through suffering. How is it changing us? Is it softening us, making us more compassionate, more loving, more tender towards others who are going through suffering? Or is it making us hardened, revengeful, angry? Or as I've heard brothers say that used to be brothers and now they claim they're not brothers, they don't believe in God anymore because if God's a God of love, why would he let me continue in this suffering that I've been in for so long? Number two, forgiveness is a commitment of the will that moves our emotions to healing affection. Is there anybody that you haven't forgiven? You know, if we pray the Lord's Prayer, what does it say? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those. What do we say to Jesus there? Hey, hey, Jesus, make sure you forgive my sins in the same measure in which I have forgiven those who have sinned against me. But what if you haven't forgiven somebody who's sinned against you? What are you saying? Jesus, forgive me of most of my sins, but not all of them. How many want to just be partly forgiven of your sins when you stand before Jesus one day? No, it's all or nothing, right? So we need to forgive. And, and God gives us the grace to do that and will give us grace if we ask Him. And number three, confession of sins puts us in position to receive God's healing. Unforgiveness is a sin. Unbelief is a sin. Bitterness is a sin. And confession of that sin puts us in a place where we can receive the healing of God. Well, I love this story too, and I'm excited that, the, that Joseph and the brothers are together. Next week we will see the great reunion when Jacob and Joseph see each other for the first time in a long time. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for the story. Lord, it's not just a story written on a book, in a, in a book somewhere that's not true, but it's, it's fun to talk about. But Lord, this is true and truth. And the principles that we see in this story and the character that we see developing in Joseph is character and principles that we need and we want and we are gathering and growing in. Thankful for this congregation.
of people who love each other and are, are learning to love each other better and better and more and more and deeper and deeper. Lord, I pray for that one who's suffering and perhaps has not allowed it to soften him or her, that you would help them this morning receive your grace to do that. I pray for that one who's not forgiven someone who has wronged them and maybe deeply wronged them, that today would be the day they were able to forgive from their heart and even move in the direction of that person who hurt them. And you restore that relationship. And Lord, bless this congregation and all that we do the rest of this service. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.